Uh, thanks, Reverend. You're way, way too kind. <laughs> morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Thanks for being in church this morning. Uh, yeah, I've had a bit of an introduction already, but uh, yeah, family, we've been serving the Lord in the Middle East for the last uh, nearly three years we were there. We had one of our many kids was, was born there. So we thought at the like two and a half year mark, maybe we'll come back to Australia just to visit and introduce our new baby to the rest of our family, stuff like that. I'm a Bunyong boy, if you don't know, so I'm a very local. Um, and yeah, then COVID started. We came back, we went to visit our, my in-laws, her family in New South Wales. We got caught in the fires up there. And then we came back to Bunyong and then COVID started. So it's just been a whirlwind of unfortunate circumstances worldwide. Um, but God has done so much um, in our lives during this time. We had another baby, it's just like baby city in our family. We had another baby, Caleb. So that's uh, been an amazing blessing. And yeah, like Andrew said, looking to get back at um, Christmas time. So we're doing all the preparation stuff for that all the paperwork the visas stuff like that I realized we had to get like five new passports that was a ton of paperwork but all good and God is awesome and God opens the doors so that's really exciting but we have a vision we want to get back there we want to see uh, people coming to know Jesus all the way up the Nile in the surrounding nations we have such a a, a really difficult part of the world uh, in this region and in the, the surrounding nations and just to be able to get there and to see what God opens up and to see people coming to know Jesus and then going and, and multiplying that across the Middle East is a really exciting endeavour and it's, it's so needed. Every, every tongue needs to know uh, the love of Jesus so that's, I guess, in a nutshell, kind of uh, where we're at and where we're going to be for the next few years. If you want to come, come and talk to us afterwards. Plenty of room. Um, yeah, I think I have more conviction now being kind of stuck in a place where I thought I wasn't supposed to be because I'm like a pioneer and I just want to be out there in some crazy place uh, sharing the gospel but I've, I feel like I've got more conviction now than ever of fulfilling the Great Commission in the unreached world than I ever have before. And as I've spent more time in the, in the Word, I'm more convinced that Jesus is worthy of our lives than ever before as well. So I'm going to jump straight into it. I'm like super nervous because I have no idea how this is going to go. But uh, <laughs> your ACD, it's not even, it's like, Twisted. <laughs> it's centre this way, you didn't look that way. It's freaking me out. Okay, um, let's go. So, oh yep, we got the timer, perfect. Alright, so there are many words in the Bible that they, the author or the people who, when they compile it, they leave the, the word as it is. We translate the Bible, you know, from the Greek, from the Hebrew, whatever, but then they leave words. You would all know them. Amen. Hallelujah, and there's a few others, um, but there's one in particular that they also leave, 
And they're trying to retain the meaning or there's no English equivalent or something like that. So they keep these words intact or they're just a significant word and they want to keep that. So in, in Jesus' time, he's talking Aramaic usually, but then there's the Greek and they have their Hebrew uh, scriptures that are still in Hebrew. So there's a few languages floating around. But his mother tongue, Aramaic. Um, and at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing the people and he says, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 16, 19 to 24, I'm going to read. I'll read it out for you though. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Awesome. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We're from the Middle East, that's totally normal. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. He's pretty serious. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. That's a shame. And then, does anyone know the word after that, he says? Maranatha, this Aramaic word. Then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So this word, they leave it in many Bibles. I know the New American Standard, they keep this word, they give you the little footnote, the King James, I can't remember any other ones that retain this word. Or they'll say the meaning of it in English or how they're trying to translate it and they give you a little footnote, this means Maranatha, whatever. So depending on how you say it, it, it can mean two things. The Lord has come or the Lord is coming or like come Lord, like the imperative, come Lord or the Lord has come. So that's Maranatha. And the early Romans wanted the Jews and the Christians to worship Caesar, and this caused a lot of division. And they were beaten, they were sometimes killed if they defied Caesar and, and didn't worship him. The morale of the believers was lifted by the hope and the reality that Jesus was coming again. In spite of this horrific situation that we're living in, we have hope because he's coming back again like he promised. The believers knew there would be no peace. There wasn't going to be a peaceful time. There hasn't been a peaceful time in history since Jesus died and rose again. Uh, but they knew he was coming again to set up his kingdom and they drew great comfort and they allied around this Maranatha cry. And so instead of saying, as you're passing by another Jewish person, you would say, Shalom, they would say, Shalom. They adopted this greeting it's kind of like a covert thing. It's like Maranatha. And I know that you're a Jewish man, but you're a follower of Jesus because you say Maranatha, back to me. So we have this word now that's been in use in the time that is me, the declaration, Jesus, the Messiah has come and he's coming again. And we're followers of this Messiah. And so we, we adopt this so we know between each other, because we're all Jewish people at the moment, uh, we know between each other if you're actually the follower of Jesus or not. And so it became a greeting that they replaced with Shalom amongst the, the followers of Jesus. Now, I'll try and pause on that for a second. Uh, there are so many conversations we have today around what certain things mean in the Bible, um, what what they mean to a particular group. Was Paul talking to this person, that person? How do we apply these things today? And there's so much uh, 
uncertainty, questioning about things in the Bible that maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we weren't discussing that thing, but now we have a front and centre issue. And maybe in your time, there was a, an end time thing going on, I don't know if it was 80s or something like that, where some of the church adopted this end time, that that was the main focus, and then things kind of went on. And there was some time after Israel became a nation, 1948, that they thought 40 years after that is going to be when Jesus returns. And we build all this stuff up. Um, some of it's completely relevant and some of it's completely not relevant. And so I just want to touch on that for a minute and then I'm going to bring us back to this Maranatha cry and why it's so important. So the church, we're, we're having this shaking season at the moment. And doesn't matter how we stack up the, the tallies, the, the church in the West is declining, and it's averaging like 5%, if we say worldwide, the Western church, America, Canada, Australia, UK, every other Western nation, Europe, is seeing a gradual but steady decline in numbers. The, the underground church uh, in China, in parts of India, and across the Middle East, seeing massive uh, explosion of people and no one knows the exact numbers. China has minimum 100 million uh, believers. Some of them have state governed churches, other, others aren't allowed to practice and so they have this underground network of churches. But the church in the West having this shaking season going on and we've had to define our faith a bit more, define what exactly we believe and then if we're going to stand on that belief in the face of uh, government things in the face of society, uh, questioning the relevantness of Christianity in the Western life, etc. So we have to search the scriptures, find some definitive answers to these questions. Um, the issue of Jesus being the only way. Is he the only way to God or not? I had a conversation with a, a minister a couple of days ago. He didn't think... Jesus was the only way. There's many paths to God, stuff like that. That's something we could look into biblically and then decide, are we going to make a stand on this? Is this a hill we're going to die on or is it not? And I think it's, it's vitally important. Then there's other things like, uh, where do I, I have to write it down. If someone knows this, I'll give you a coffee. Infralapsarianism. Anyone know what that means? It's, it's, it's embarrassing to say it, but I'm just making a point. There's, there's vitally important things that we need to, to understand and stand on yeah. in our faith. Yeah. And I learned this in the Middle East because people will say to you, Muslims, is Jesus God or Son of God? And how do you explain the Trinity? Is he one? Are they three? Are they together? And, and it's embarrassing when you stumble over your words because you even don't know exactly what you believe about the Trinity or something like that. And you're trying to find the stuff and it's kind of like an egg. You've got the shell and the yolk and the white and you're giving all these ridiculous things. And he's just looking at you like, this is ridiculous. And so we need to have a, a biblical understanding of what we believe. That's my point. Infolapsarianism, on the other hand, uh, means that when the fall came, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God knew that the fall was coming, but he didn't know after that who was going to be saved or not, who the elect were going to be. So infolapsarianists believe God knew after the fall 
who was going to be saved, and then anti-infolapsarianists think God didn't know at the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. He didn't know after, before, prior to that sin who was going to be saved. Who cares? This is, this is a, a conversation that is happening in certain Christian sects and in, at a, probably more in the academia level. And if you've been in biblical academia, that's what I'm trying to say, conversations get a little bit lofty in that scene. And some of the things are vitally important. Theology, I'm going to keep saying this a few times, vitally important. But then there's things that we take on that have no relevance to the life of a believer. And it's, it's not important, but books are written about it. Debates happen around it. And so much time is consumed about you. Infolapsarianism, what do you think about paedo-baptists? And da 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 and like, it doesn't matter. That's not, that's not the main thing. And it's going to come back to the Maranatha cry, which I'm hoping to get to in a moment. So... Much of our theology is completely irrelevant, especially to the persecuted church, which is coming, which is becoming the main group of believers in the world. So the, the Western church, the Anglican, the Baptist, the Pentecostal, was the main, made up the main numbers of the, the global body of Christ. But that's kind of shifting and it's diminishing a little bit, which is tragic and it's another issue. But the, the global persecuted church in Asia, in across the Middle East, in some parts of Africa, they're becoming the main body of believers. And so they're going to be the, the leaders in the global church. And they're going to be the people instead of, uh, you know, if you've ever been to Africa or something, they want to know from you, like teach us something in the Bible or teach us how to live like Jesus, something like that, or pray for us, something like that. The, the persecuted church will be the people that we look to, to say, teach us how do you live a life in love with Jesus, knowing that you could be killed for your faith any moment, or that the secret police come to your house and they're just going to take your wife? And they have to have these conversations, and the husband and wife have to have, in, in the Persian country, I don't even want to name it um, for streaming sake, the Persian country, people will say, husband and wife will have a conversation, and it will be, what do you want me to do? when the police come in and they grab you and they take you into a room. Do you want me to beat them and lose my life and probably lose your life? Do you want me to just... And a lot of these women are saying, this is my sacrifice to God and this is me offering my body as a living sacrifice to Jesus. When these things take place in Persian country, when people are found out to be believers... And these are the people we're going to learn from in the days ahead how to live a life of Jesus. And they have the Maranatha cry, Jesus came and he's coming again. And this is the most important thing that we can get in our lives. Whew. Some other things. Should women preach in church? Should they wear a head covering? You know, there was a guy in uh, where we live in the Middle East and he came and he taught us this uh, great teaching thing on a topic. And then someone from our team said, um, oh, we have this lady coming. She's going to teach about this thing. Would this guy who was visiting from the US want to join? 
And he said, you know what? I don't allow a woman to teach or take authority over me, so I'm not going to be there. And I was like, I, I like, don't like controversy at all. Not controversy. I don't like being in it. I like watching it when it's unfolding. Especially when it's on important things, like not bantering. I'm like, oh, let's see how this goes. And so the lady, Fida, she's from our team. She's like tough lady. And they just kind of talked a bit for about it. Nothing too much came over. And then I came up to him afterwards, asked him, what did you mean exactly by blah, blah, blah? And so this is his principle that he takes. And you could grab a couple of verses from the New Testament about women preaching or women taking authority. But here's the thing. And I don't have a particular view either way. I think that women are awesome. When women are preaching, they're awesome. So I don't really stand. It's not a hill I die on. That's my point. But what about the women in the Persian countries? There's some women who, they have thousands of women and families under them or part of their underground church network. And there's just no men around. Or they're secretly, because of the division of, of men and women in the Middle East and Central Asia, we have women that have come to the Lord and they bring other women to the Lord and if their husbands found out, who knows what would happen from minimal to life ending. How does this woman not preach in the church when they're all women? Or the women in the Persian countries or in the Soviet times when all the men were taken and the women were left. It's not so black and white, it's not a hill we should die on. So, coming back to the Maranatha cry. And there'd be many other examples we can use to, to say, well, some people say this, some people say this, but what's the main thing we're trying to get at here? Because time is short. We don't have time to talk about intrapolapsianism and stuff like that if it's not completely relevant to our life. But again, theology, super important. And we need to define our faith and what we believe and stand on that. And stand on it sometimes to the point of I'm going to get my life will be in danger here. And so, but I won't have that conviction if I just am lofty in what I believe. But if I search the scriptures, I stand on this thing, then in those times I can stand on the word. So I'm going to read this bit just so I, because I typed it out, it's a bit of a long sentence. So coming back to the Maranatha cry. Of the Lord has come and is coming again. It brings everything into focus and removes many of the distractions and the principalities we may have created in our own life, which is stopping the unity and the multiplication of the church or of the body of Christ. So there's a, there's a blockage in the unity, and we would know this from the churches around town, and there's a blockage in the multiplication of the church. I think, in, if we're going to use this context, because we have these theological differences that really aren't important. Does it, do you put the cup there or do you put the cup there? It's like the traditional things that are not important. The centrality of Jesus, knowing him and making him known to people, that should be the thing that we, we unify around. So it means we can be allied around so much more than denominational doctrines which may or may not be from the Lord and again not hills that we would probably die on I won't die on if you have a cloak on or not even though you're a reverend 
things that I'm just making stuff up. That was a bad example. Things like that. We can move up to a greater hope that he came and he's coming again. And that gets us out of the mud and the, the stuff that we experience in the world and bring us out of that and just look to Jesus. He came. What does that mean? It means I have the opportunity to know him and I have my sins forgiven and I can now worship God in this freeness and he loves me. He has a relationship with me. That means he came. He's coming again. What does that mean? It means that's exciting because the world is not awesome and it's going down and he promises when he comes he'll wipe away every tear. He's going to establish an actual kingdom in an actual city and he's going to reign from that actual city for a period of time. That is pretty exciting. And it gives a, an urgency for us that we, we're not on unlimited time here. My life is this much. Maybe Jesus is coming in this much and this much, whenever it is, but it puts an urgency in our heart to look to the main thing. And the main thing is he came and he's coming again. And how are we going to get that message out to as many people as we can so they can experience exactly like what we've experienced this morning, that we can worship him, that his presence is moving among us, that he's changing people's hearts, he's renewing people's minds, we become more like him, and we're saved. We are saved because he's, he's also, he, when, when he returns, all the glorious things that happen, he also judges the world. And so we've, we know him, we've experienced him, but there's a whole bunch of people out there that don't know him. And, and when we get to that time when he comes again, he's going to judge the world. And so this urgency in our heart, the Maranatha cry, he's came and he's coming again, should help us to understand the urgency of the gospel and the urgency to go to any place, whether it's Sebastopol, Banyong, China, wherever it, wherever it is, Thailand, that we would go and say, yes, God, where do you want me to go? And, and offer our lives to him just as he offered his life for us. And we can learn so much from the persecuted church and how they live their lives and how they share the gospel in amongst such persecution. And I had this video... Uh, not sure if you've seen it before. It's like a minute long. It was on Twitter, little thing. And someone was delivering some Bibles to uh, look like China. But they were all around in this little danky looking place. And the box opened and people were coming up, grabbing them. And they're just weeping. And they're like receiving the word of God. And they were just in tears. I'm like, that is such a powerful image. We have like Bibles everywhere. Bible on the phone, Bible in the house, Bibles all over the place, shops full of Bibles where you can go and buy one whenever you like and you don't have to be concerned when you come out that someone's going to attack you. Yet, we're probably the most Bible illiterate generation <laughs> in all of our, our predecessors in the, in the Western world. Yet, there's a, there's a hunger for people who, once something is taken away from you, when church is taken away from you, you said before, and then we get back, it's like a whole nother 
whole other level that you just appreciate and love and you just worship him more and you're so thankful to be around the saints. It's so much like that with when we, when we look at, at the persecuted church and what would they do if they had the freedom to worship wherever they wanted, however they wanted and that they could share their, the gospel with people because a lot of closed nations, even in the, the place we live, if you're were a Muslim and you're a follower of Jesus, you can't just go and share with your brother or your uncle or even your, anyone in your town that knows you. And it's like small town fever it's where we live. It's like Summer Bay, I call it. If you know. <laughs> like everyone knows everything about everyone. And they'll, if they don't know you, they're just like, oh, what's your last name? And then they'll say it and then they're like, oh, yeah, because there's only like about seven last names in our town. There's a lot. But the massive families of people that were kind of tribal people and now they're living in towns and now they're kind of living a more, what's the word, progressive maybe, life. Um, but it's, it's so hard. And one friend of ours, he's, he's tried sharing with his dad once. He got completely ostracized. His dad wanted him to leave the house. He started having people following him around town. And we couldn't meet as much as we would like to. We met in one burger shop. And then uh, we sat down and then this guy came in, sat down next to him and it was his next door neighbour, his dad's friend. And his dad had told him specifically, no more hanging around foreigners because foreigners are the people that have introduced this gospel to him. So he's trying to protect his son. But his son had this incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit and so he's hungry. And the next time we meet in a shisha bar thing, having burgers again, that's kind of our combo, don't judge me, burger, shisha, gospel and we slide the bible across to each other on the table with the phone and we're just talking about jesus and encouraging each other and then the waiter comes over and he's like oh i think i work with your brother is your brother da, da, da? he's like yeah but look don't tell him i'm here okay talking to the foreigner because i'll get in trouble and the guy's like yeah no problem so that's small consequence um but other people they're just life would be ended and it's the constant story you would find it all over the middle east and if someone makes a decision if they're a muslim to become a follower of jesus they could be killed it's more honorable somehow i love many aspects of the muslim culture i love many aspects of the arab culture in general but this i don't get it's more honorable if your daughter becomes a follower of jesus i should end her life and my friend, you would encourage me almost. It's horrific circumstance, but you would say, brother, you're going to shame your whole family. The only way to bring the honour back to your family is to, to his daughter. I'm like, I don't get that. That is crazy. So this is the, the life of the persecuted church around the world. So I just want to bring a bit of that into light for you and to give you... Uh, a hope that we can grow so much from understanding more about how this church operates and functions in amongst a highly persecuted situation. And people are coming to the Lord. That's the exciting thing. All across the Middle East, across the Persian country, China, people are coming to the Lord in spite of the harsh persecutions. We're seeing huge numbers of people coming to Jesus and radically living for him. And that is just really exciting. And it means in the days ahead for us, 
we can better prepare ourselves because Christianity in Australia, it's not the best, it's not the thing that it was many years ago. I even just look at Bunyong where I am. There's like three churches in town. And they were one, and one, like the church that I'm a part of, is like 1835 or something. And that was once the centerpiece of the town. They had much uh, influence in the political decisions of the town. They were kind of, you would go to the local church for political decisions, township decisions, and etc. And that was kind of they were the centerpiece of the town. And now it's slowly, slowly being pushed to the side. Uh, what do you call it when you go to the school as a pastor? The chaplaincy even, getting pushed to the side. The involvement in, with church in the political realm and, and helping to bring a moral uh, foundation to some political decisions, some national decisions. No one wants that anymore. There should be a separation. So we're slowly in our own persecuted state and we don't know exactly how far that's going to go and who's going to stand on the biblical truth. I don't mean you have to pick it at the front of a place or none of that stuff. I just mean we have the, the quiet assurance that we stand on what we believe and we stand for Jesus even amongst certain persecuted things. I'm not talking about social justice endeavors or being a political warrior in the public realm and being really loud about it, but just continuing to serve Jesus and to love him and to love others into the kingdom even when things become a bit more difficult in society. So how then shall we live? That's where I'm going to finish off today. Unless I've got another page. Which I don't think I do. No, I'm pretty good. So that's the, the question for us in, in the days ahead. How should we live? If we grasp this Maranatha cry, Jesus came and is coming, it means it will put into perspective the most important things in our life. Knowing him and making him known. And that, I stole that from uh, YWAM. I'm a Y guy, uh, but the missional organization. That's the motto. Know him and make him known. And I think Maranatha sums up Jesus in, in a way that is so profound. He came and he's coming again. And then YWAM have this uh, motto, know him, make him known. I'm like, what else is there? to do. Of course, we've got to work, you've got to bring home the bacon, but know him, make him known. And when we, can, when we know him, we can be in love with him. And this causes us to walk a certain way, uh, not being held down or entangled by the things of this world, the worldly issues, but when we know him, we fall in love with him, and a lot of other things in our life just fall away. When we make him known and have the cry in our heart that he's coming again, then we get a sense of boldness to proclaim his truth. And we know this is time sensitive. People's lives are time sensitive and the coming again one day. Don't want to sound like an end time crazy man. It is coming again. There's no, there's no doubt about that. So we're on a time sensitive mission. He came and he's coming again. And so that gives this sense of urgency. So how should we live our life? With a bit more of a sense of urgency, a willingness to get this gospel message out from here to wherever the ends of the earth is for you. It could be Mount Helen. It could be Pakistan. 
the Maranatha cry is, Come, Lord, how much longer? We need you and the world needs to know you while there is still time. And just on Pakistan, I don't think they're here today, but if from a, you know, because the missional family, it's pretty, pretty tight. We're not a big, big bunch as far as the, the cross-cultural workers. And so when you hear people that have been to different places, they're, it's, I don't want to say street cred. It's not like a flex, like, well, I was in Afghanistan in 2001. And you're like, well, <laughs> because that's, no one who has the missional heart thinks that way. You think you're the humblest, like this is the, the meekest, this is the lowliest I can live, is to go to another people, live among the people and serve them and want to proclaim the gospel to them. That, that is a, a humble attitude and a, a lowly life that you think you're not worthy for, but that you've said yes to God to go and do. But when we talk about Pakistan, there is Mr. and Mrs. Veal. And I don't know how long they spent there, but it was a significant amount of time they were serving the Lord in Pakistan. And for us today is an extremely difficult place to go. And so I would honour them greatly if they're here, but they're not here. But they're, they're soldiers, troopers. And um, to say yes to, to be in a country like that for that period of time is highly admirable on many levels. But they're just lay people. They're just normal people. And they said yes to Jesus at some point in their life. And they've gone and, and served him in that way there. So in concluding, because I have conclusion. <laughs> so the, the divine truth, which is what I wanted to, to bring, was this. We can know him. And you guys know that. We can know truth. There are certain things we can stand on. And there are hills we can die on for Jesus. And there are other things I've mentioned, I don't want to butcher the word again, that we wouldn't necessarily die on. But we can know truth. And there's certain things we can know from his word and say, this is what God says about this. We can stand on the word of God and not be blown here and there by the swirling doctrines or the latest thing that's coming up or whatever's happening around us which many of them have no bearing on Jesus whatsoever or on the gospel or on reaching the lost. But we can stand on his word, stand on his teaching and we can teach others to do the same, to follow Jesus. So I'll finish with this verse, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, because he's just talked about Abraham and all the great men of faith, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, when things come against you in this life, when people mock, maybe spit, throw things at you, 
through your faith, you remember that Jesus, he also endured such hostility by sinners. He also endured the cross. And so we can not grow weary and not lose heart, even in the most difficult and challenging circumstances of our life. So I'm going to finish there. Just a quick note, um, talking about his presence being in the house. My little testimony. I've come to this church more than one time. Don't want to embarrass you. And we've had some kind of disagreement beforehand. And when we've come to this church, sometimes we haven't even come at the same time. Right? <laughs> because we, there was some... And it's, it's a difficult time in our house when you're preparing and you've got to be somewhere on time and there's lots of kids. It's, people haven't slept. You can get a bit frustrated, okay? It's life. But so I've come into this house and I've been a little bit frustrated in my heart, maybe a bit prideful, thinking that I was right back there and shouldn't be in this situation. And God just delivers, removes, I don't know how you want to say it, the peace of God that comes during those worshipful times and he just renews your mind. It's just a, it's a washing house. Can I say that? Yeah. don't even know if that's... Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. and just the, the, the way the Holy Spirit ministers to me each time I come here, it's so encouraging. So, Maranatha, Mount Clear Church. He came and is coming again. Live for him. Run the race with endurance. Focus on the main thing and stand firm on his word and remain in his love. All right, I'll just close in prayer and then we can, I'll hand it back to Reverend. You don't call him Reverend? <laughs> it's the, I, when I answer the phone to him, I say Reverend. It's kind of a joke, but then at the same time, I'm actually acknowledging his awesomeness and his father status in his house, that he is a reverend. And it's kind of funny because he's a funny guy and he's lighthearted and he jokes around, but he has the heart of the father as well. And he is actually a reverend, so that's why I say reverend. So it's kind of a joke, but it's an honouring term also. Okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you came and you sent your son to come and be in our place that we might live and that we might know you, that we might have relationship with the God who created everything and that you would cleanse our minds, you would purify our hearts, you would remove the things in our life that were once there, that were not of you, you would make us to, to grow up to be more like you and to walk in your ways. And Lord, as we look at the scripture and we look at your life, that we can obey the things that you taught us and we can obey the things that you did and we can follow from your example. And you said, go proclaim the kingdom. Go and preach the gospel to all creation. And you gave us your Holy Spirit that we could be empowered to do these things, that we could not grow weary and not lose heart. And Lord, if, we're, if anyone is in that place, I want to encourage you. He is your strength and he's the one we can draw from. And you might not feel like you're a gospel-sharing person. 
you might not feel like that's maybe for someone else, but you can get a new revelation of his love and you can get a fresh revelation of who Jesus is and you can be re-excited again like you once were when you first came to know him and you're just your heart was just full and then you sing songs like he's worthy of it all and you just break down crying because he's so worthy. You can get back in that place again. And that is our battle. And God, help us to remain in that place of love and adoration for you. That we can continue to know you and come into that intimate place of loving you. And that we would be people who would then go and share that with other people. Share your love. Share the truth that you came and you're coming again. And that people would have an opportunity to receive that love, receive that forgiveness. So God, I want to pray that over us today. Um, Fill our heart with your love. Fill us with excitement for the gospel, excitement to go and reach the lost. And Lord, may we continue to, to stand strong in you and stand strong in your word in the days ahead. So Lord, I bless this church. I bless every person that's here today or that's listening and that they might fall deeply, deeper in love with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. One of the things that um, 